Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday celebration from the Center of Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. Imagine that the front part of your forehead is where all the thoughts come from. And it always has a narrative and a plan and an opinion and a judgment. But I'm going to invite you to step behind the little chatty mind into the heart of your soul, where peace abides, where awareness is overflowing. You could call it the balcony. You can observe the mind, this foreground that has a story and a narrative. But for this brief time of meditation, we're going to step back behind those thought patterns, that karma that we create in life, cause and effect. And know that there's this oceanic peace waiting for us. It's always already there. The Bible refers to it as the peace that passeth all understanding. We don't have to figure it out. We just go there. Emerson says it lies stretched in smiling repose. So oftentimes I feel like I'm falling into the smile of the universe. If you can't find the smile of the universe within yourself, well then look around you. The whole world is smiling. I rescued a a pot from the garden and I put it in the window in the living room. And all of a sudden, out of this seemingly dead pot, an amaryllis is pushing forward and it's like four feet tall now and it's getting ready to open. You talk about a surprise. From what I thought was nothing came this beautiful expression of life. And so what if life is always surprising us with its mystery, its beauty, its invitation to connect? I surround myself with plants because I understand that they they give out an energy that nurtures and heals. We have a sign in the classroom that says plants heal. And you might notice at the center, there are plants in every corner, smiling at us, saying, I've been given this life. How glorious could I rejoice and be glad in the life that I've been given. So we meet here intentionally to create a field of light using the law of attraction knowing that divine love has brought us together so that we can create a field that's greater than any individual part. And so together, we are transforming the world by bringing the light of awareness to an otherwise divided and separate world 
that wants to make some right and others wrong, some good and some bad. In oneness, there is none of that. In oneness, we all meet as one. And so we are the ones that we have been looking for. And the longer we stay in the question, who am I? We realize that there's something so much greater that wants to claim this life experience than the local self. Because we're all each other. We're all connected. I am you. You are me. We are one. And all is sacred. In every sacred moment. Uh, And so we smile to this moment. This is the moment the Lord has made. Could I rejoice and be glad in it? And in that simple recognition that all we ever have is the present moment, well, then the past is forgiven and the future is released and it all emerges now from a cosmic yes, yes, yes. And in that yes, I invite you to open your eyes. Isn't it nice to just stop? The plan stop. Futurizing stops. The future is going to emerge, I learned a long time ago, out of my quality involvement in the moment. So could I let this moment be the moment that sets me free? We finished our class, and I'm so impressed by my students because the assignment was the grace in aging, and everyone brought their unique flavor of their soul to this expression. And Lee and Nancy both surprised me. Lee created this little card where he showed about finding his purpose through interacting with people and how there's a fun part of us when we were a child and that contained our purpose. Could we resurrect what that child of wonder had in store so that when we get to be a sectogenarian in our 70s, all of a sudden we can be inspired by this youthful verve that never went anywhere. I was listening to this futuristic talk about how we evolve on planet Earth And they say the superpower that we all have is the joy within our soul, the ability to play like an otter, and then to experience the laughter of the universe. That your your superpower is this child of wonder and awe that lives within all of us? Well, I think so. Be like a child if you would enter the kingdom of heaven, so the master teacher said. So Nancy referenced some of her inspiration, and one of her inspiring teachers was a a man named Jack Cornfield. I studied with him in California. He has a meditation retreat, and he's a Buddhist teacher. But the beautiful thing about Jack Cornfield, he's probably my age, and as you get older, you evolve from more of a, a literal presenter into a mystical presenter. And this month of January, I'm revisiting the four first chapters of The Science of Mind, the thing itself, the way it works, works, what it does, and how to use it. But I realized when I did these 34 years ago, I was more three-dimensional as a minister. It was all about manifesting X, Y, or Z in the world, success, career, uh, relationships, finances. But as you evolve, you realize it's not about the me person anymore. It's about the divine love claiming me. So there's a whole evolutionary, and then Ernest Holmes talks about the involution and the evolution. As we evolve, it's not about David Leonard anymore. It's about divine love. It's about God. My prayer partner is speaking in Canada, and I said, what are you talking about this Sunday? And he said, "Um, what does your God do for a living? 
he likes to bring in a sense of humor because so many of us have that old God, you know, the judgmental God, the wrathful God, the guy, the God that you have to pray to to do something to you. But when you get this new idea of God as an indwelling presence that's always there, have we turned our back on God? Have we turned our back on source, this presence that's waiting for us, always there as divine love? Wow, then it's a much bigger. So then when we use the law of attraction, we're using it to attract like-minded lights. And then when two or more are gathered in that frequency, something potentiates itself. So when you trust, then life is always guiding you along the way. It's not you giving orders to the universe anymore. No, no. It's about you listening to the universe as it seeks to move you in a greater sense of expression. I pulled out this little thing from Jack Cornfield that Nancy printed off, and I, I love the depth and the wisdom. So see if you can catch the thread of his transmission. He said he talks about the Buddhist idea of impermanence. Everything must change. The young become the old. You know, we're all going to transition at some stage. That's why we taught that lovely book, The Grace in Aging. So could we age with distinction? So here's how he, he puts it. We are changing from moment to moment. So change is good. And then he says, um, as this constant flow is felt fully within us, then grasping and holding on becomes clearly undesirable. You don't cling to the past. You don't grasp for the future, but you've learned to find the sacredness in the present moment. Sylvia told me when she was um, kept in with all the ice, she put on some music and she and David were dancing around the kitchen, having fun like two little children, laughing. Play restored itself. So what if we could do that? Press Praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, they all arise in their turn. And then, if, but if we try to hold on to the pain and push away, or hold on to the pleasure and push away from the pain, she says, holding on, then change becomes like a rope burn. It clings and it becomes the cause of our suffering if we resist the change. So could we open to the change that life is a series of deaths and rebirths and we're invited with every breath, with every day to see life in a new way? that spirit was never born and spirit never dies. I'm gonna talk a little bit about grief today because my beloved Susan, she found out that she found the grace in grieving. I found that this morning too. So seeing that there is no fixed separate self behind us, that's key, to see that there's no fixed separate self called me running the show, that's the first step. Then it opens us to an inner space of the one and the inner space of ease, because it's the finite self that wants to be in control and manipulate and decide how things should look. But the true self knows how to surrender and life emerge in an effortless sort of way, because then that you're in what they call the flow, the flow of the one. That's what Jack Cornfield's talking about. We do not have to reject our experiences. We can hold everything with this heart of compassion and care amidst this fleeting world. Witnessing life in this spacious loving awareness in this way is enormously freeing because it's no longer bound by my expectation, my desire, my wanting things to be the way I think they should be. No, no, it's never going to be the way you want it to be. Could we and let it be the way it is? Ah, living life on life's terms. So she goes on to say, um, instead of being caught up in our reactions and our fears, our longings and our wants, our mind ultimately becomes spacious clear and radiant, a mind that is spacious, clear and radiant. You can just feel your way into that, Miss Mary. He said, um, it is the illusion of permanence and control 
that binds us into a world of duality and keeps us separate from one another and from this true flow of nature that's all around us and within us. So then you want to go and have a tantric relationship in a forest and merge with the trees and sit at the foot of the waterfall and feel this beautiful life force going and merging with the earth and know that you're a part of that. You begin to see this interconnection with all of life because it isn't about you anymore. Oh, it's not about you anymore, Jean Ann or Susan or Barbara or Bob. No, a deep perception of this dream light, ever-changing nature of all phenomena undercuts our desire to grasp and to hold on to any experience as a source of lasting happiness. We want something external to make us happy. Well, ultimately, that all falls away. And then you're sitting on the hill, like in Waiting for Godot. That was my very first play, my freshman year in college. And my one line was, nothing to be done. There's nothing to be done. That's where Jack Kornfield, liberation comes from this loving non-attachment, resting in mindful, loving awareness. This is the gateway to freedom from all of our suffering and peace abides. When it's no longer about us finding happiness for the widow person, then we just meet life on life's terms and it is what it is. Uh, and I'm in a flow of acceptance. It's what Jack Cornfield calls the deepest acceptance and he wrote a book about it. And he said, it's not that we accept life, he said, we are the acceptance itself. We are the acceptance, it's, and, then, and he uses the metaphor of the ocean and the wave. We, the seeming wave, we go into the ocean, but the ocean never rejects the wave, does it? And then ultimately you realize that all these waves out here are all aspects of the ocean of love, the ocean of life. So he said, the ocean never rejects the wave. So could we be the ocean that accepts all of life? The light aspect of life, you know, we're light beings, but we also have a shadow aspect. So instead of trying to get rid of the shadow with the light, could we embrace the shadow and know that by embracing that darkness, inherent within the darkness is the light. It's always been there, but it waits for us to recognize it. So then the whole game is different. The thing itself, I changed the title to, uh, the premise must be God. The premise must be this one life. It's about, and you know, the, the science of mind was written over a hundred years ago. I think it was 1922. And so, and the whole premise of it is about involution and evolution. This divine presence moving through its creation, it evolves itself and it needs all of us to evolve. So as we evolve through involution, through this infusion of truth, spirit, and you know, the Greek word for truth is that which wakes up. And they say the truth is incontrovertible. So whatever is your true self, it wakes up within you from a field of love. And then through the law of attraction, you're drawn toward one another. I remember when, Shay met Tia, I think they worked at the same office, and then she dragged him into the old center, and all of a sudden, the law of attraction, he kept coming back for more, and the next thing I knew, I married them in my backyard, and they're still here. And then I remember, it was uh, Michael Beckwith said, when people come to a center like this, they come either for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. Now, there are a few lifers out there. Some people come, they get what they want, you never see them again. Some people come and... And then they want something different, and that's fine. But when you make a commitment for a lifetime practice of growth, we'll then expect transformation, because that's what this teaching is. It's a transformational teaching. So now, I'm after 35 years almost of ministry, I'm beginning to see those first four chapters in an entirely different way. And Ernest Holmes would be thrilled. So I've turned from his three-dimensional way of using this thing to manifest what you want in the world to 
taking it to the furthest part of the book in the very back where he says, one, one, one. If we teach anything, we teach oneness. So what would be the dimension of unity consciousness that we would all possess? Where it's about coming together through the law of attraction, bringing the light of awareness, the light of oneness, in a potentiating cauldron of evolution. When two or more are gathered in this higher vibration, the I am is there. So we're literally evolving into God. Is that too big of a thing to say to you? No. You've got to be so humble to say that. So how would God live your life? That's why we're teaching this lovely class about facing our human challenges from the soul. Because the soul is spirit in, in us. Spirit is the soul. The soul is the spirit in human humanity. So could we learn to find out what that eternal soul is, that soul that was never born, that soul that never dies, so that we can live this long life and come to the end of it rejoicing that this life never ended. When I came into church this morning, um, I went into my office and I was checking my messages and I looked up in my bookcase and there was the... Um, this is the program for when my teacher, Kennedy Schultz, made his transition in the year 2000. It was a week after my mother died, and I was privileged to go to Atlanta and do his memorial service, and this was the program, but I never really looked at the program. So I took it off, and I felt his smile in my heart, and then I turned to the back of the thing, and he wrote a little treatise on the back. It's called, My Grief Heals Me. And for some reason, I've been experiencing grief. You know, it's my twin sister's anniversary of her leaving the planet, T and Shay have been going through some grief, and because we're so close, I feel their grief. Um, my neighbor, who euthanized the little black cat that I'd been taking care of for the whole month of November, uh, the last two days he cut down the two huge oaks in the side yard because they were an inconvenience, dirty trees because they have acorns. And so my sweet little husband, who's going to be here today to do the annual meeting at 1115, he had so much anger that they would cut these trees down for no other reason than they were an inconvenience. That his, He said, I don't know what to do with this anger. And I said, I don't know either. I said, you know, if it helps, there is no death. Oh, don't talk that spiritual talk to me. There is no death. Well, I'm just trying to help here. Um, so anyway, Kennedy talks about the grace and grief. And here's what he says. This is so profound. And Seamus, I want you to listen to this because I, I, it brought tears to my eyes hearing my teacher transmitting, and I was with him right up to the very end. And grief did heal him. It opened his heart. He says, the creative intelligence that is God gives me eternal life and continual growth. So the thing itself, the premise must be God. The purpose must be you, the, the aspect of it. What it does, it, it, it grows. It, we're here to grow. And then how do we use it? We become the love, the light, and we give it back to life. So here's how he uses this. We are this creative intelligence called God and an eternal life which is continually growing. It makes me an individualization of its own divinity and it fills my life with people that love me. This is the law of attraction. To challenge me, to teach me, and to likewise gain from being in my own experience. So we're here to be teachers for each other, to inspire. You all inspire me so much. He says, all of my relationships are divinely purposeful and mutually rewarding in all ways. All the relationships, even the ones that push your buttons, even the sister-in-law that I've heard a few diatribes about, she's there too to show us everybody's included in this oneness consciousness. Even the ones that push our buttons, Miss Rava. And I know you have a few. 
So the perfect wisdom, this is Kennedy, that draws people to me also draws them away from me. Oh, isn't that a great sense of humor? You're attracted for a while and then maybe you're repulsed for a while. You meet that. People come into our lives and they go out of our lives. Could we be okay with that? Not cling. Remember, that's the path of suffering. So they're drawn to me, then they're drawn away from me, leaving all that was enriched by them a permanent and living part of my own being and setting me free to draw into my life then new relationships for my own continual enrichment. So Kennedy was my teacher the whole time I was in Atlanta, but when he left, I found all kinds of Sufi teachers and mystics, and I studied with some of the greatest, and he served me so well for that initial part of my growth. So could we see life like that, that we're going to keep attracting those that inspire us to higher orders of awareness? He says, my grief at the departure of those that I love is evidence of love and not loss. Those are tears of love. You know, I look at the picture of my animals that are in the classroom, and they always bring tears to my eyes because they're always here. They don't leave, Thomas, those little four-leggeds. They kind of haunt your soul, don't they, Jody? I mean, the two-leggeds are there, but those four-leggeds really get in there. Anyway, the tears that I shed wash away confusion, and they leave me with a clear memory of that which was and a clear vision of what can now be because we're better for having known these individuals in our life. Could we see that? Seamus's mom is such a beautiful lady, and she brought her photograph to one of our revealing services. And it says, you favor your mom, Shay. And anyway, I said a couple other things, but I won't say that here. Um, it serves its good and loving purpose, and it leaves me renewed and ready to go on with life. Wow. It passes away naturally and leaves me stronger than I was before. I'm stronger now that my twin is on the other side. She's with me all the time. And you know, she was a wild kind of a person. Her, her lovely phrase was, she, she said, I'll tell you how the bear shits in the woods. I mean, that's my twin sister. Of course, that she would offend people, but she just told it the way it was. And that was one of her gifts. And I, I, I now I kind of cherish that. It kind of gives me permission to do the same thing. This is the way it is. Um, it makes me stronger than I was before. I do not suppress my grief, he says but I express it openly and fully, and I let it do its good and perfect work. And guess what? He concludes, I am healed by my grief, by my ability to actually feel the full thrust of grief, and so it is, he says. He concludes with it, and so it is. That's putting the period after the sentence. That's uh, setting the idea free to manifest on its own. So Ernest Holmes in The Science of Mind, he talks about embracing life like a gardener would. And he says, the first thing a gardener, and you would love this, Sylvia, I was just reading it the other day, Ernest Holmes says, the garden is the soil, which, is the, which has to be prepared to receive the seed. So the first thing we do is we're constantly cleaning out the soil. We're getting rid of toxic patterns, old karmic ways of looking at life. You know, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, I'll reject this, I'll, no. You, you clean out the soil of your consciousness so that it's empty and it's ready to receive the seeds. Then the second question is, what seeds are you planting in this receptive soil of your soul? Are you planting seeds of empowerment? Seeds of, if this doesn't kill me, it'll make me better. There's a pony in here somewhere. And then you can laugh, as Tia did. I, Emma Curtis Hopkins, she gave me one of the greatest gifts with her one little saying, this too, whatever it is, this too is good, this too is for God, 
and I demand to see the blessing. And we've all had some really tough times in our life. So could we call forth the blessing in a rejected relationship, in a job that ends, in a diagnosis that feels whatever? You know, so many of us at the center are going through physical challenge. Could we see this as a, as a gift and not as a curse? It's not as like life is punishing me by giving me two new hips. No, I've got two new hips now and I can dance. It's all how you see it. So when we start to bless what is, well, then what is blesses us. And then you realize life is a participatory event inviting us to even find grace and healing in our grief, our ability to let something go so then something new can come into our lives. We're, we're always doing that. It never ends. So um, I pull out Jeff Foster, who wrote this lovely book called The Deepest Acceptance. And this is a young man who is a non-dual teacher. A non-dual teacher doesn't teach that some things you want to get rid of and other things you want to embrace. He, he coined a little phrase, Fred, it's called RAIN. You recognize what is arising. You allow it. You accept it. The I stands for you inquire into it. What is this showing me? And then the N stands for you nurture yourself as you're going through this inquiry process. So if you recognize there's resistance, there's judgment, there's suffering, whatever, you, you accept it. It's coming to be met. It's like a crying child coming to be loved. You know, that little blind and deaf pug that I have is my greatest teacher. He has separation anxiety. So now we have these little necklaces that he wears to keep the anxiety down. But it doesn't really work, the anxiety reliever. And then Trey gets angry at the things. And he says, you know, he's more of a complicated pug than he is something simple that you can give a little thing and it'll change him. And what he wants is he wants to be held. He wants to be loved. And so in his compromised way, he's teaching me how to be with not only him, but with my neurotic husband, who's shunning the neighbor, who's filled with anger, and I love him so much. He'll be here today. He'll be a little nervous, so don't scare him off. And so this is this acceptance. Of course, he uses the metaphor of the waves, but let me give you how Jeff Foster puts it, a bow on it. He's so, he's so wise. He says, what you are has already accepted the present moment. Life doesn't reject the moment. This is the moment we've got. These are the challenges we have. Life doesn't, he said, so what you are has already accepted this present moment exactly as it is. And what you are has already said yes to what is. Otherwise, what is appearing would not be appearing. So then we don't say, why me, God? Why me? Why, why not you? It's your turn to face loss. It's your turn to face disappointment. It's your turn to die and to be born again into a new way of looking at life. So what... What you are cannot resist anything that is appearing now, for it is everything appearing now. Everything is simply irresistible to what you are. It's all the one appearing. It's like rejecting God. This is what life has shown us. So acceptance is an allowing that has already happened. To accept your life right where it is and to find the grace and the beauty in it. So to accept thoughts and feelings is to simply, gently, effortlessly notice that in this moment, those thoughts and feelings are already accepted and that they have already been allowed in. They're already here within us. And accepting it is not a time-bound achievement, but a never-ending present moment reality. We're always going to be meeting life in the moments that change, and then change is not a bad thing. Change is just life evolving into a new way of expressing. 
So could we step into that radical acceptance of life? You know, lots going on in our country. From one day to the next, I don't know what court case is up in front of whom and that poor E. Jean Carroll, if she's ever going to get her $83 million. I mean, there's a lot going on outside and you can either take it personally or you can step back and say, ah, here's an opportunity yet again to see life evolving and how we meet it is what's important according to this. So you cannot accept for what, guess what, you are acceptance itself. It's not about us accepting this crazy America the way it is right now. Acceptance accepts it. And this is how we evolve and grow. It was it was uh, Barbara Marx Hubbard that says, when we are evolving into a new order of being, which he calls the homo universalis, the universal human, that which is dysfunctional will become more dysfunctional because it needs to fall away so that something new can emerge. So could we let go of the stuff, those karmic patterns that no longer serve us? And then you hear that lovely chant, I am letting go of the things that no longer serve me as I'm letting go. I am healed. I am made whole. And you don't just do it once. You do it again and again to letting go of the things that no longer serve me. Does it serve me to shun the neighbor who cut the trees down? No, because I'm made out of love. I was thinking of giving him two new little trees to plant there. And then the other part of me said, oh, my trees wouldn't live that long, would they? But they probably yeah. So he goes on to say, you cannot accept for guess what? You are acceptance itself. You are not really a separate person. You are an effortless yes to the very moment we exist. So now acceptance is not a state to reach in the future. It is something to rediscover right in the midst of your present experience, right here and now, no matter what is happening. Acceptance is not a future goal. Rather, it's a present reality. It is grace. It is an ever-present grace available to all all the time. Non-dual thinking. It's not that some things are good and some things are bad. When Haley left the planet, she came to me and said, I'm still here. You have to tell Amber that I'm still here. I mean, that's what happens when you get to a certain stage. They, um, they don't leave. My prayer partner was telling me about this uh, man who had a dream. And in the dream, uh, he was fighting this battle and, but he had the help, and all of a sudden, he saw the image of his father who had transitioned. His father was there helping him for this battle. And then he saw his grandfather helping him. And then he saw his grandfather's grandfather. What a dream he had. And then ultimately, it went back and back and back, and ultimately, he had God helping him. And so then, in his dream, he says, God, why did you put me through this battle where I'm fighting, da 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 And God said, because I knew you would win. So this was his dream. I said, what a dream to open to this guidance system that will, that will assist us along the way. So the thing itself is God. The way it works, it works through our consciousness, through evolving our consciousness. What it does, it makes all things new. It doesn't create retreads. So it creates a whole new you. Every day you wake up and you choose to step in to the, mm, the stream of life, this true nature, it's always going to bring you, who am I today at 75 years of age? having shed so many false senses of self, and I've emerged into this, um, this elder of the tribe. One of my favorite elders, a friend of Mary's and mine, is named Parker Palmer, and he wrote this lovely book called On the Brink of Everything, and he said, even in my 80s, I realized, just like a newborn baby that's on the brink of everything, I'm always on the very brink of this moment. Who am I going to be? And at the end of the book, in his 80s, he talks about the purpose of life is to live from the true self. 
How are you going to use it? You're going to be who you are, a bringer of life to life. A bringer of your... And so at the very end, I love this man. He's so clear. He's sitting in a forest in the middle of nowhere. He and his wife go up to on the border of Canada and the United States up in Minnesota to a very remote campground where he's one with the trees and the water and the lichen. And just where you, Bob, you and Jody go. He goes to these remote places because it nurtures his soul. And he wrote this at the, one of these places. He says, um, wholeness is the goal of life. Wholeness, and Ernest Holmes says, it's the perception of wholeness that's all healing. So could we see the wholeness amidst the fragmentation? He says, wholeness is the goal, but wholeness does not mean perfectionism. It means embracing brokenness as an integral part of life, and in that brokenness you find your wholeness. Well, isn't that a nice idea, Fred? We're not here to fix the broken. We're here to open to our brokenness and find inherent within it is the wholeness. He says, the sooner we understand this, the better. He says, I'm in my 80s now, and it's taken me a lifetime to get here. It's a truth that can set us free so that we can live well in each moment that we have. To live well and to love well and in the end so that we can die well. So death is not the punishment. It's, it's really the opening to an eternal life where we're always here. He says, I can't think of a sadder way to die than with the knowledge that I never showed up in this world as who I really was. I lived somebody else's version of my life instead of mine. I never showed up in this world as to who I really was. Saddest thing I can imagine. I can't think of a more graced way to die than with the knowledge that I showed up here as my true self. And I was an authentic person. As my true self, as best that I knew how. And I was able to engage life freely and lovingly because I'd become fierce with reality. Fierce with reality. This is the life that I've been given. I'm, I'm going to rejoice in it and express it and live it. Let me do a little closing meditation and then we'll, as we prepare. Do you want to ring the bell, Jody? Oh, thank you, darling. We begin where, we end where we began, a ringing of the bell. And the bell is a radical stopping. And it's an invitation to be here now, in this moment. And then to open that field of love that's always waiting. Sufis say, place your head into your heart. So that the thoughts then emerge from a loving place within, a nurturing place. A place of gratitude and acceptance. And then we put our attention on the breath. Breath is another word for spirit. We observe how the breath is breathing us. It's offering itself to us. And we get to be in relationship to it, whether it's shallow or whether it's deep. So as the mind becomes quiet and infused with that heart wisdom, the breath becomes conscious. Well, then we move into the observer self. We observe what's arising. Sometimes what arises mm, are confused thoughts or emotions that are uncomfortable 
But as we anchor ourselves in the observer self, we can say to that anxious one, I am here for you, my little anxious one. If the fearful one shows up, we can say, oh, there you are, my little fear. And we can embrace that fear. And so no matter what life brings us with each breath we take, we are grateful. This too is good. This too is for God. That divine acceptance that's always there. And I make a demand on the universe to see the blessing inherent within it. So when the grief arises, ah, I see that my grief is healing me. That these are tears that come from love, not from loss. And although we might have lost something in form, we still retain the essence of that which was real. Love that's real doesn't die. It's an eternal love. And so we open to that eternal love, not analyzing it. Was, could I have had more? Could I have navigated in a way that would make it different? No, no, we let go of all that mental chatter and we just we observe what Jack Cornfield calls nirvana and he says nirvana happens when we accept life in its impermanent sort of way that things come into our lives and they go out of our lives and yet we we savor that which was transmitted soul to soul as an eternal contract that we have. So life becomes so much bigger because we've moved from the me person to the we realization that we're all one and ultimately that it's all the one. So this deepest acceptance is from source itself accepting this human experience with its suffering, with its challenges. And then we look at the nature of suffering. We suffer when we resist what is. But when we embrace what is, even if it's uncomfortable, well, then we're not suffering. We're finding the gift, the blessing, in even the smallest of things. And so we come here to find the blessings. Huh. And all we have to do is, as they say in the Bible, wait upon the Lord. The Lord represents the law, the spiritual law. And the law basically says it's done unto you as you believe. So as we believe in this oneness, in this inherent wholeness within all creation, well, that becomes the body of our experience. And the law makes it so. And so the thing itself, divine love, the way it works, it works through our consciousness and through our heart and through our love. We become embodied expressions of that peace, that love, that joy. What it does is it evolves through all of us into itself. And how we use it is we let it embody us and give and become a blessing to the world through our very existence. We are here to be the very thing itself. And so we open to this evolutionary process that's ongoing, breath by breath. We rest in this awareness. It's already so. 
and we open to the light, we open to the love, we open to this deepest radical acceptance of the true self, and we let it dance through us. We let it express through us. We let it inter spirit through us and all creation. So we bow to this sacred moment where we know that I am you and that you are me and that there's only one here. This is an ongoing, an ongoing process. Be here now. And as Ramdas ultimately said near the end of his life, to be love now. We're a spiritual being and we're having a human experience. And so we bring the highest awareness of our true nature to this human dance that we're all doing together. And we find that there's mm, liberation, playfulness, and laughter on the other side. I see Sylvia and David dancing in the kitchen and I see laughter and joy abounding in the play of life. Uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. So I invite you to see yourself dancing in the light and notice who's there dancing with you. Could we play at being human? See the joy within and all around. Take a deep integrating breath. Give a sigh for the divine. Ah, and let it unfold with ease and grace. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org. You are love and you are light. Namaste.